in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. Aaron Judge hit two home runs on Tuesday. He's up to 57 on the year. He is now tied for 15th all-time for most home runs in a single season. If he gets up to 64, he would tie Sammy Sosa for fifth most home runs in a single season. Um, How many? I think he's on pace to hit 65, given the amount he's hit and the amount of games that he's played so far. So 64-65 is certainly in the realm of possibility, which would be one of the fifth best home run seasons we've ever seen. Yeah, you have down here about the Yankees record with Roger Maris. I think only Yankee fans care about that. Why do I see that on TV all the time? They're like, oh, if he gets to 61, he'll break the Yankees team record. Maybe famous Maris was. Yeah. Roger I mean, Maris. I, I mean, I just think Who it's, cares? Okay. Well, the I I you asked why it's important to people because it was Roger Maris, but I'm with you on that. Like I don't really have any effect on me that he's breaking Roger Maris's record. Roger I Maris mean, Yankee fans, yes, and John Sterling, of course. <laughs> Roger Maris hit 61 home runs in 1961. Mm-hmm. Who cares? It's not even the record. It's not even in the top 5. It's Roger Maris. Didn't that record stand for like 40 yes. years? <laughs> and now it's years? been broken. It now it's not even in the top six. I mean, this is just Yankee fans. Well, I don't know if anyone outside Yankee fans care that he's about to break Maris's record. Well, there's a group I of mean, very elderly baseball writers who probably consider Roger Maris the true home run king. Jeez. Giancarlo Stanton hit 59 in 2017. How come they're not talking about breaking active teammates' records? Well, that seems more important than Roger Maris being seventh all time. I mean, it's Roger Maris. (laughs) Who cares? (laughs) Nobody that watched him play still alive? Okay, but sometimes... Wait, what? Yeah, some people are still alive and watch him play. But not for long. The Queen was 96, I think. <laughs> Did she see Roger Maris? She, she might have seen Roger Maris. She might have gone to a game. Great question. Broncos coach Nathaniel Hackett changed his mind about a 64-yard field goal. He said yesterday, looking back at it, we definitely should have gone for it. Does he get credit for not yeah, doubling like down? I like this because okay. most people because most people would double down. And most people, would, especially football coaches, the stubbornness of football coaches. Don't second-guess me. Yeah, exactly. Don't second-guess me. I'm going to tell you how it is. All right. I You? Yeah. I mean, I, mean I, I felt good that he said it. I guess it would have been worse if he came out and said, nope, that was the right decision. I'm glad I made that choice right. because it was clearly the wrong decision. I guess, I don't know. The problem is, is that as the head coach of an NFL team, you are getting paid to make decisions in the moment. And he made the wrong one when literally everybody on the planet knew it was the wrong one. Roger Maris knew it was the wrong one, right? The the police guarding Queen Elizabeth's coffin knew it was the wrong choice. They weren't even watching the game. And that, I think, is the issue, is that he's supposed to make these decisions in well, was terrible, pressure terrible moments. Decision. And he his made first game as a head coach. An awful choice, right? Looking at it afterwards and saying, oh, that was wrong. I guess that's better than looking at it I afterwards like it and being and like, saying, no, 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 I was right. Yeah, I and everyone would start laughing in the room. I think the only acceptable answer was, well, Brandon McManus was on my fantasy team. 
needed that 64-yarder for the bonus points. Uh, uh, we'll see. Do you know how great it would be if a head coach came out and said so-and-so is on my fantasy team? Uh, God, that'd be amazing. He'd get fired, right? I would think he'd only last one game. I mean, oh, no, because then you just go, ha, 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 just kidding. Yeah, the next day. I didn't really mean that. <laughs> what, you guys can't take a joke? Oh. I know there was um I saw a memo that got tweeted out that was sent to players this year. They they can play in fantasy leagues. There just has to be a, the pot can only be like a thousand bucks or less or something like that. I can't remember what the exact number was, but NFL players are allowed to play in fantasy football. They just can't play for significant a lot of money, amounts of money. For some ridiculous amounts. So you can they can play in a fantasy league for whatever, a hundred well, bucks a person, well, not even. We know baseball players can. Well, yeah. It's important. This is the best league in the world. Valid question for sure. All right. This is one of the dumbest things in hockey. When people in Quebec demand that players for the Canadians learn French. Nick Suzuki got named captain of the Canadians. There's a story on ESPN with three different politicians in Quebec saying he needs to learn French. Nick Suzuki said he took some online classes this summer and that he took some in uh, high school, but that he's uh, not that comfortable speaking French at the moment. It's one of the most ridiculous things in sports. Is if you play did for Pat the Canadians, no French. I think he did, or else he got really? criticized for it. Maybe that was one of the things he felt too much pressure on was not knowing <laughs> French. Um, but it, it is unbelievable. Like we have sports across the world where guys from different countries who speak different languages play together, and the one that is the most demanding of you speak our second language, first language in Quebec. It's, it's ridiculous that if you play for the Canadians, there's like this expectation that you speak French. Well, and shouldn't the team who named him captain come out and say he's fine? They should. And defend him? They do this all the time. You named with, him captain. You know he didn't speak French. They do this all the time with coaches, too. Like, like Montreal, like, self-limits itself often to be like, oh, we're hiring a new coach. He has to know how to speak French. And it's like, well, that's four guys. There are yeah. four guys that are yeah. potential NHL coach qual uh, candidates, and they speak French. Like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Imagine the Coyotes going, we need to hire a new coach. He has to be, he has to speak Spanish. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> like that's, that's what happens there. And I think it's one of the dumbest things ever is they're like, oh yeah, we're going to pressure this. Nick Suzuki's 23. We're going to pressure this kid. Yeah, you better speak Gonna French. He's going to be on Lingo. Yes. It's like, hey, we noticed the captain hasn't been watching very much film. I'm trying to learn <laughs> French. <laughs> K-Long told me a couple days ago, I, you got to get rid of this echo. <laughs> can't talk. I'm drunk. Whatever. <laughs> Keenan Allen is not expected to play on Thursday against the Chiefs. He hurt his hamstring against the Raiders. So Justin Herbert is now throwing to Mike Williams and guys named DeAndre Carter and Joshua well, Palmer. Speaking of fantasy, he didn't throw, he didn't throw much to Mike Williams last week. Set over there. Oh yeah. man, who was shutting down Mike Williams? Yeah, who's shutting him down? Was it Can't, Nate Hobbs? I don't know. I don't know who it was, but someone uh, was doing it. No, Keenan Allen, uh, which feels like a big blow, and feels like that's going to be like a deciding factor in the Chargers playing the Chiefs. Like if the Chargers are going to actually it, for all three teams that are not the Chiefs in this division, if you're going to knock off Kansas City, right? Probably you better be have full everybody. Strength. Like, yeah, like if the Ra when the Raiders play Kansas City. They need Devontae Adams. Right. If they go into it, it's like, ah, Devontae Adams isn't playing this week. And... I don't think either one of us is sitting here saying, well, they got a chance to win. Right. We're going to be like, ah, okay. That's uh, just move on to the next week. Just take the week off. 
I don't care about him. Next question. TJ Watt expects to play this season. He has a torn pec, but apparently didn't tear a tendon, which means he can be back in six weeks, potentially. He tweeted yesterday about coming back uh, before this report was out as well. Um, what, what are we doing here? TJ Watt tearing his pack. Didn't JJ Watt tear his pack? Both uh, eating sandwiches. What? Subway, Subway. sandwiches. Come on. Are they Keep in up. Subway sandwich? Are they in Come Subway on, the commercials? Family. I, ha- the family. I don't know if they have been recently. I, right. The most was... recent one was uh, the backup quarterback for the 49ers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but they used to be. The whole family used to be, right? There's got to be an executive. Yes, yes, All the there brothers, was. the mom and the dad. Why yeah. do I feel like I've never seen this commercial? Uh, they're really? in the backyard, and they installed the subway in their shed. Yeah. It was it was not as good as me imagining a executive of Subway going, wait, the good-looking guy's the backup? <laughs> How uh, much are we paying him? J.J. Watt did have a torn peck. And came back. So what's the Watt family doing with yeah. these pecs? Also, this sport is insane. Like, there's guys who just say, yeah, I tore a large piece of my chest. Ah, I'm going to play anyway. <laughs> Dak Prescott's going to be back in four weeks after breaking his thumb. Has he said that or has Jerry, Jerry Jones hey. has said that? But, there's, but nobody, hey. there's nobody like Big Wit played with a ruptured spleen. Oh, my God. Did he do anything with it? With his spleen? No, no, in that game. I don't remember. Because he was that... here for a whole season, and he didn't do anything for the I just Raiders. know Big Wit was up there with a ruptured spleen. What are you talking spleen. about? There was that tunnel screen they threw, That's they right. threw to they him. That's right. They tried to throw yeah. a screen pass for Jason. Get the catch and run, the yak from Jason Witten. <laughs> that Gooden probably should have been fired on the spot when they called that play. Get some yards after catch from the 47-year-old tight end. Wow. Sorry. Um, I got gotcha. you. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> So this Brett Favre story, there's a Mississippi Today, an outlet in Mississippi, uh, got a hold of some text messages uh, that are a part of a lawsuit. So Brett Favre got a bunch of money from one of Mississippi's welfare funds, obviously misappropriated as to where that should go. Uh, he has paid back some of the money and has sort of feigned ignorance this whole time. Like, oh, I didn't know where it came from. I didn't know how I got that money. Uh, but there were text messages that were public, uh, publicized yesterday where Brett Favre is texting with somebody in the Mississippi state government, and he asks, is there any way the media is going to know about how the, how I got this money? And whoever he's texting with says, I'll check with the governor. The governor at the time was a guy named Phil Bryant, and then comes back and says, nope, Phil's on board. We're good to go. And Brett Favre's like, thanks. This specific money was $5 million that was, again, supposed to be in a welfare fund that got diverted to Southern Miss, where Brett Favre went to college and where his daughter was playing volleyball, to build a volleyball facility for Southern Miss. So for some reason... Right when I saw it, I said, okay, his daughter's got to be playing. Yeah. So for some reason in Mississippi, they took money out of the welfare fund to build a volleyball volleyball facility. facility for Brett Favre. To put that into an even like broader context, the state with the highest poverty oh, rate nightmare. Right. Oh, yeah. in right. the United States right. is Mississippi. The amount of people that money could have helped. Yeah. Yes. But hey, at least they can maybe go see a volleyball game. Oh, wait, they don't have any money. Yeah. So I, it's, it's incredible. Like, it's an absolutely incredible story that Brett Favre, like of all people that's orchestrating this, it's one of the most popular, right. successful 
people to come out of Mississippi. Where does it stand on what could happen to him? I have no idea. Ooh. I mean, I I don't know what I I'd imagine it's more about the government employees that yeah, gave him the money. That's that's the other thing. It's literally like, hey, we have this money that we that, that has been earmarked specifically for this. Ooh, but we what about Brett Favre? We right. can go like what what you guys want a photo with Brett Favre? I know I want a photo with Brett Favre. Let's go give the money to Brett Favre. Basically what it is. Because here, I will say this, from not to defend Brett Favre here, but I'm not going to be as mad at people who accept money when offered to them. Right? Like, if somebody's offering you money, I'm not as mad at that I mean, person as taking it. Brett Favre obviously shouldn't have orchestrated $5 million to the Southern Miss volleyball team, but... What the hell are you doing giving Brett Favre $5 million to build yeah. Southern Miss a volleyball facility? Out of the welfare fund. Right. What are you doing? It's ridiculous. So, yeah, I'm sure there's more to come from this, um, but that's what we got for now. Coming up next, we'll jump into some Golden Knights because it sounds like Nick Haig might actually hold out. Yeah, I don't feel that, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about injuries as we debrief uh, last season and talk about the off season and talk about uh, training camp. I, I think that uh, you know, we're going to be a far more uh, rested, you know, just a, just a better situation for us this year. So I'm not expecting that it'll be, uh, that it'll be more uh, of the same. I'm expecting that we're going to have reasonable health as uh, most NHL teams uh, would expect. So is there going to be injuries over the course of the year? Certainly, that's uh, that's part of the game, and uh, and we'll deal with them at that time. But uh, you know, the injuries, um, you know, and, and and talking about them to the length that we have, uh, those are things that we want to put in the rearview mirror as much as possible. You're listening to the Press Box Summer Edition. How early in the season do we hear the Golden Knights complain about injuries? Oh, ten and twenty. <laughs> their record <laughs> i think it's before the season starts i'm from i'm from canada so mark stone would say that i am telling them their their uh, yeah. team isn't any good you're motivating them is what you're motivating doing. them chipping uh, the shoulder i think we hear it in some no form. more golf yeah <laughs> i think we hear it in some form before the season starts i think we hear uh some veiled complaint about the goaltending before the season starts well what do you expect we got logan thompson and aiden hill we lost robin leonard for the year we couldn't handle that I think we hear that before the season starts. That's going to be a You mean theme. after all these preseason games? Yeah, that's going to be a theme the entire season, even though Kelly McCrimmon says, nope, when injuries Rear are behind us. Mirror. They can't be. Your goalie's out for the entire year Yeah, because of an injury. So I think we're going to hear it early, and I think we'll hear it often, uh, like we did last year, second half of the season, where that's the only thing that the Golden Knights wanted to talk about, that and firing Pete DeBoer despite all the injuries. Um, so there is one move left in the offseason for the Golden Knights that has not happened yet, uh, and that's Nick Haig. He is a restricted free agent. Uh, we have talked about Nick Haig's situation a couple of times on this show. As a restricted free agent uh, who has not been in the NHL long enough, the Golden Knights only have to give him a qualifying offer, which is a one-year contract worth about $874,000. That's all they are. By the NHL rules, that is the only thing the Golden Knights have to offer Nick Haig as an RFA this year. So Nick Haig, I'm assuming, you know, that offers there. Nick Haig doesn't want it because Nick Haig talked to Vince Sapienza or Vince Sapienza has sources. Um, and Vince Sapienza said, it does not sound like things are progressing at the moment between the Golden Knights and Nick Haig. I'm told there has been quote, very little dialogue since early July. 
Haig is in Vegas, ready for the start of training camp on September 21st, the week away. But his camp is getting concerned with the lack of communication. It is my understanding if there is no deal reached by then, he will not report to Golden Knights camp. So Nick Haig, as a restricted free agent, where the rules in the NHL say he's only has to be offered this qualifying offer, no other team can come in and, and um, you know, I guess they could offer Sheeta, but no other team can actually come in and do much. Nick Haig's only real option to create some leverage is to hold out, is to not show up for training camp. The issue, though, is that there's a date. I don't know what it is exactly, but it'll be in December that if Nick Haig hasn't reported, hasn't played for the Golden Knights or shown up to practice, then he basically loses a year. And next offseason, he'd be in the same exact scenario. Restricted free agent, one-year qualifying offer worth less than a million dollars. So from the team side of this, should the Golden Knights pay Nick Haig? No. I think they should offer him what they are supposed to offer him. It's just like the Raiders with we said all those months with uh, Darren Waller. Uh, they ended up paying him, but they still can get out of it pretty quickly. No, I would I would call his bluff because, like you said, how long are you really going to hold out for? You're willing to miss an entire season for the difference in that money? I, I wouldn't pay him. I w- I, w- I wouldn't pay now. Maybe they come to an agreement like you you said in the past, like not two point million, but maybe one point something, and they right. kind of come to an agreement in the middle there, which is fine. But at this point, I would say, okay, camp starts next week. You have a new coach, you have a new system. Who, as Ryan Wallace said yesterday, dependent really on defensively. Uh, you need to get in there and and find out what you, what your place is in this in this in this lineup. Uh, at this point, I'd call his bluff. So. I am curious how much Nick Haig is asking for, because obviously he's worth more than $874,000. Worth more, he's, yeah. He's better than that contract. So I'm curious what he's asking for and what the gold... Well, there hasn't been dialogue, so maybe he hasn't asked Maybe for we yet. know what the Golden Knights are offering. <laughs> right. But like, I wonder... Because here's the thing. If Nick Haig came to the Golden Knights and said, hey, you know, I want a two-year deal where I get paid $1.3 million a year. I have to imagine the Golden Knights would sign him to that in a heartbeat because that's half a million more than what he's going to get paid on the qualifying offer. He's right. ap- like he's going to give you production better than that, and that should fit in their salary cap space. So I have to imagine if it was like, hey, I want 1.3, that would have already been a done deal. If he asked for more than two, maybe that's where the Golden Knights would draw the line is, hey, if you're asking more than two, we're just not going to do that. So I am curious what Nick Hague is asking because if Nick Hague is out here asking for like $4 million a year, Golden Knights aren't going to do no, that. No, Nick nor Hague, should they. I don't even, he probably wouldn't even get that if he was an unrestricted free no. agent at the moment. But if it's like less than two, the Golden Knights should probably pay him and be like, all right, that's good. And But if it's more than two, that's sort of the number to me where it becomes interesting on what the Golden Knights should or shouldn't do. I'm with you from the team side. Absolutely. Like the way the league is set up, the way the rules are set up, Nick Hague should or could be playing for you for eight hundred seventy-four thousand dollars, and this is a team that needs as many good players on cheap contracts as possible. So, if I was the Golden Knights, I'd say, yeah, the qualifying offer is the offer, and that's what you get. So, if you're Nick Hague, to go from his to approach from his side, qualifying offers eight hundred seventy-four thousand dollars. You're worth more than that. What do you do? Are you willing to hold out? To a point, but you've you've said over and over that this, and I didn't know this until you you reported this about the December date. I thought yeah, that I, was I. I think that's fascinating. Yeah, there's a date there's a in date. which if you're not on the NHL roster as a restricted you free agent, season. you cannot play that season, and your contract situation basically gets frozen. 
So where next off season? Do you know any other sport that does that? Um, for I don't know all the restricted free agent rules. I'm going to guess. Yeah, I think basketball has restricted free agents. So probably there's probably some level of this where hey, if the restricted free agent doesn't show, then I mean, I guess. I guess I'd hold out to a point, yeah, but I don't know how long I would go. And again, this goes to how much Nick Haig is asking for or the Golden Knights are offering beyond the qualifying ever. Because if I'm Nick Haig and I ask for like $1.5 million and the Golden Knights aren't willing to give me $1.5 million, I'm probably holding out. Mm-hmm. I'm probably saying, really? Because that's a, that's a middle finger to Nick Haig, right? If he's only asking for like one five and they won't give him that, that's it. That's telling Nick Haig, like, go bleep yourself. And if I'm Nick Haig, I'm probably going to hold out. Now, if I'm Nick Haig and I'm asking for $3 million and they're not going to give it to me, eh, I probably have to have the understanding, well, they're not going to give me $3 million. Like, that's not going to happen. So I am curious. And the other part, as far as, like, negotiations go, I do wonder if Nick Haig walked in and said, and asked for, like, $3 million, knowing that he'd be perfectly fine right. settling for $1.5, $1.8 but he just wants to make it a little uncomfortable. Say, I want $3 million, or else I'm going to sit out. The Golden Knights come back and say, well, we're off you this. And he says, well, how about we meet in the middle? And then, hey, look at that. You've got $1.8 million, right. and Nick Haig has got exactly what he and wanted. And he's happy. Right. So I do wonder if that's part of this as well. There's a negotiation tactic to maybe asking for more than he thinks he'll actually get and threatening to hold out and then ultimately agreeing on a number in the middle. But that might be the number he wanted all along or expected all along. So... I think that might be part of this too, because I'm assuming, you know, uh, Vince Sapien's tweets here. He says that's from Vic, uh, Nick Haig's uh, camp. I'm assuming this is, you know, the agent going to Vince Sapienza and being like, well, let's get this out there a little bit, right? Let's get right. some publicity to Nick Haig's situation because it's really the last thing the Golden Knights have this offseason. They don't, I guess they could make another move, but they don't really have another move to make at the moment. This is it. It's Nick Haig. And Kelly McCrimmon said, what is that, three weeks, four weeks ago that Nick Haig was their top priority? Their top priority, yeah. Which, by the way, they haven't talked to their top priority since July. Yeah. September. Camp starts in a week, and they haven't, there's been very little dialogue. On the top priority. Yeah. Probably not the top priority then, right? Aiden Hill was the top priority at some point. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. And the other part on Nick Haig, I think he would be in a better situation if he was a forward because they're, they're light at that position. They would need him more if this was a good forward. But defenseman-wise... They got Petrangelo, they got Theodore, they got Martinez, they got McNabb, they got White Cloud. Like, they don't, I mean, you need more than that defensively throughout the course of a season, but it's a lot easier for the Golden Knights to lose a defenseman than it is a forward right, right now. If Nick Haig was a forward threatening to hold out, you'd be like, oh, that guy's playing on the second line for this team. But he's not. He's a defenseman, and they've got plenty of defensemen. All right, coming up next, Jason Fitz maybe joins the show. The man does not like pie or syrup on his pancakes. No clue why we're talking to him, but it is time for our weekly visit with ESPN's Jason Fitz. Do we have Jason Fitz? I mean, I'm here. I don't hey, know if you guys can you hear go. me, but I am there here. There you go. Nice. All right. I don't know what happened. Our phones went down. Jared has been pressing a lot of buttons to no, get <laughs> no response. There's been no red lights whatsoever. So we're talking to Jason oh, over the good. computer. Um, so, yeah. Uh, this, this is delightful. This is amazing. <laughs> By the way, he deserves a drink for the morning he's obviously having at that point. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, good morning for our phone line here. All right, Jason. Let's start here. How concerned are you after the loss to the Chargers for the Raiders? 
I mean, so here's the thing. I, I picked the Chargers to win the division. So the fact that the Chargers beat the Raiders, I picked the Chargers to win that game. Like, I don't think much of that surprised me. I do think that the offensive line was absolutely in shambles, and I don't care. I've, I've talked to every person I can that, that played offensive line, that knows the league. When you are just running out wild combinations throughout the course of the game, like, that is not a recipe for success. And, and I, I don't care how they want to polish a turd on this. Like, that's a turd, right? So, like, there's no good way to, to, to bring that. And then the other part of it is little concern for a strength of this team that the pass rush win rate for the Raiders was the fifth best in the NFL last week. And they got no sacks, which is exactly what happened when they faced Joe Burrow. So, like, they're going to have to figure out how to actually not just knock the quarterback around, but get home on these sacks. Like, that's a huge part of the defense. So, I, I think there's a couple concerns, but I'm not sitting here pressing the panic button. What would you do now? I mean, they brought in a, a simile. That's not going to happen. They're bringing in guys who, you know, either have underachieved or not played. I mean, when they stand up there and say, hey, we thought they played well and all seven deserve a shot, to me, all seven deserves a shot is like none of them played very well. I mean, if, if, they, all, if, they're, if they were good, it'd be five like most teams, and those would be your guys. Yeah, and there's a point where, like, uh, I always say this, but the first time that I take a friend to a psychic and he walks out of that psychic and says, oh, my God, my life's in shambles. I'm never going to have a good relationship and I'm going to die alone. I'll go see that psychic every week because that's, that's the honest psychic. The first time a coach stands up and says, man, our offensive line is like, we don't have anybody that's really good enough to hold up. You know, I think that becomes a part of, like, what else are they going to say? But the fact that they brought in assembly just to take a look at, like, I, I think that what they're telling you right now is they know that they don't have the guys in the building and they're going to have to figure it out quickly. Like the biggest surprise wasn't that they didn't have the guys on the offensive line. It's that Colton Miller got owned too. So like that needs to stop now because you can't help both tackles. You're going to have to decide which side you're giving help to. So, you know, he's got to knock that rust off quick. Otherwise, this is going to turn into a real problem for the rest of the season. Otherwise, I think you just accept it's going to be a glaring weakness, but also – let me put the micro microscope in on Josh McDaniels a little bit because we saw, you know, Ken Dorsey, the new offensive coordinator for the Bills, knew that they were going to have a hard time against Aaron Donald, so they got rid of the ball faster than we've ever seen Josh Allen get rid of the ball. That's called coaching. I was a little surprised that they just decided over and over again that they were going to do a seven-step drop where, you know, Carr was going to wait for something to develop. I mean, Devontae can get open with no time. Like, utilize that. So I think the play calling is going to have to change too. Uh, Hunter Renfro only had three catches. Was at 21 yards in that game? How many times this year do you think Renfro, Waller, and Adams all have productive days, or are we looking at a week-to-week basis where at least one of those guys is sort of uh, non-existent in the offense? I think it's a I'm, one guy is going to be non-existent almost every week, and part of that is a, a fault to as much as you guys know. I'm a, a absolute Derek Carr fan. Uh, he he's always been the type of quarterback that when one guy gets hot, he rides him. I mean, we saw that the up and downs and followed Amari Cooper wherever he goes. But the fact is, you could look at certain games and realize that, you know, Carr was going to go to Cooper that game, hell or high water. And we saw it last year in the beginning of the season when Darren Waller was getting every target and nobody else was. So I think, you know, Carr's got to get some of that rust off. He's got to get comfortable too. I had this debate with Dan Orlovsky over text last week because I saw him talking about Hunter Renfro being good. And I, I look, I, you guys, we all know Hunter Renfro is a great player. The problem is if you're going to have a wide receiver in the slot that does 472 moves to get himself open, which is a delight to watch, he needs time to do that. So now you're going to have to have a quarterback that's suddenly comfortable waiting for all 471 moves to develop before he throws that football. With this offensive line, 
I don't know that that's going to happen as much. So I think in the first half of the season, while the offensive line is trying to figure out some sort of rhythm and they're trying to get play calling, I think Hunter Renfro is sort of the odd man out until they get comfortable. And it has nothing to do with his greatness. It just has to do with the mouths to feed and the offensive line issues. All right, so they still have the ball with a chance to drive and you know go, do the go-ahead score after all this, after the three picks, after the offensive line. So did you walk away more positive about that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yes and no. I, I walked away from it saying, my God, how are you still in this game with three interceptions? I thought the defense on the whole played much better than I expected. Also, the Chargers losing one of their most important offensive weapons wasn't, you know, that, that, that helped a little bit, right? But uh, I, I felt like as well as the Chargers played in the beginning and as poorly as Derek Carr threw the football throughout the course of the football game, I thought, you know, it was encouraging that they were in that game. This is my... In my Debbie Downer moment, though, where I will remind Raiders fans that last year this team won seven games on walk-off plays. On the last play of the game, they won seven times. That's never happened in NFL history. This team was quite literally seven plays away from being a three-win football team last year. So when you think about that, like sometimes you got to be kissed by the golden gods. And to me, if they'd won that game on Sunday, you'd look at it and say, man, the football gods are still shining bright. The fact that they didn't win that is a bit of an eye-opener, and it's also a reminder that last year, like that sort of stat usually regresses to the means, which is part of why Bill Barnwell constantly says the Raiders take a step back because you don't win those types of games year in and year out. I hope they do, but, man, they needed to be lucky at the end of the game because they weren't good and they didn't get lucky. Are you just happy that Josh McDaniels didn't elect to kick a 64-yard field goal on fourth and five after burning 40 seconds of the clock? I mean, that's just a level of – like – I feel for Broncos fans because every – I know that's hard for Raiders fans to ever feel sympathy, but we all know what it feels like to be super hyped for a coach, Lane Kiffin, that we think Lane Kiffin is going to be the answer, Lane Kiffin. And then one game in, you look at your buddies and you're like, well, he's going to be gone in a year and a half. That You can't not have that feeling out of the way that the Broncos lost that. But how do you get 433 yards of offense, have that many penalties, have just stupid procedural penalties, have two fumbles within the one-yard line – and then elect to take that kick. Like, I mean, Nathaniel Hackett, just, boy, I, the people were hunting for I – was, I was in the car driving around at the end of that football game, and it was amazing to me to listen to every – Mad Dog, ESPN, Fox Sports, every one of those radio stations at the time were like, this guy should be fired today. Like, that's where we've gone on one game with this coach. So, I feel for Broncos fans. Uh, tell us about your new column. Oh, yeah. So I, I, I'm a writer now. I'm totally professional. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but uh, I'm now basically a journalist. So, no, uh, I, I'm really uh, incredibly happy this year. I'm a big part of the chalk contribution. So if you check out ESPN.com slash chalk, you see all the betting stuff. And look, I'm not out there to be uh, Doug Kazarian. I don't think we have a better gambling expert than Doug. I'm out there to bring some of the personality of what we all feel. So, uh, first and foremost, I'll be part of the uh, panels every week on Thursday Night Football and Monday Night Football, part of all those games. But then I have my own column every Tuesday that will go up where we will take the chaos and we will rank it by the number of buckets of tears that were filled. So lost your bet, won your bet, tears of sorrow, tears of joy. We're sort of writing that emotion in a weekly column. And uh, so far, uh, week one was really well received. So that means, guess what? We're going to be back for week two. So uh, yeah, and uh, it, so I tell everybody, if you have any bad beats or any, oh, my God, I can't believe this covered, or, oh, my God, I can't believe I just lost all my money on this, 
tweet me at Jason Fitz because we're going to put some of those highlights from Twitter into the column every week and really make it a column for everybody in the chaos we feel on Saturdays and Sundays. All right. Before we let you go uh, on this show today, we're giving away tickets to go see Aerosmith and also tickets to go see Alice Cooper. Um, do you have a story about either <laughs> one of those? Yes. Um, <laughs> this is amazing. We're back, baby. Uh, first and foremost, by the way, Steven Tyler is a, a, just a, a great dude. He took a fiddle player out with him for a little bit in Nashville. Her name is Janae Fleener. She's won the uh, CMA several times. She's a great fiddle player, but I've never more been more jealous because I definitely, like, I would have had to take a, a hiatus from ESPN for six months to go play for Steven Tyler. He's a golden <laughs> god. But uh, I was at the Mall of America with a day off in uh, Minneapolis, and we were all sitting at this sushi place in the Mall of America, and Alice Cooper was there just sitting over off to the side uh, having you know, having lunch. And none of us could figure out how to, to go talk to Alice Cooper because he's Alice freaking Cooper. So I just decided, as many people know, you know he's sober and uh, hasn't drank in a very long time. And but I noticed he had a Diet Coke in front of him. So I asked the sushi waitress if she could send a six pack of Diet Cokes over to his table because they did the cans instead of the free refills. So we sent a six pack of Diet Coke over to Alice Cooper and uh, he laughed from across the restaurant. And then he walked over to our table before we left and spent a half an hour just talking about like stories on the road in the 70s. If you're Alice Cooper, he was just the nice. I know he'd never heard of the band Perry and didn't care who we were, but he walked over and he's like, gentlemen, how did you know that that was my favorite year of Diet Coke? And then he just started talking <laughs> to us for half an hour. Just the great, like the nicest guy. And the whole time I kept thinking, this is Alice Cooper. And right now I feel like I'm having story time with my touring grandpa. It's amazing. <laughs> Uh, Jason, you never uh, fail to deliver. It's incredible. Um, <laughs> he's Jason Fitz from ESPN. As always, we appreciate it. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you guys. Have a Take great care. week. It's it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, every every single time, like, yeah. Just, I'm just gonna you just give him random people, and he's like, yeah, of course, I got a story about that. We got tickets to give away to go see Alice Cooper. I guess take him a six pack of Diet Coke. Uh, Ace, uh, Alice Cooper with special guest Ace Freely Saturday, October eighth at the Dollar Loan Center. In Henderson, we got a pair of tickets for you right now. 702-364-1100 is the phone number if you want to go see Alice Cooper on October 8th out in Henderson. 702-364-1100. We'll take caller number six at 702-364-1100. Connecticut. First pitch on the way. Myers hits it hard over the third baseman. Suarez and down the left field line. Cronenworth's rounding second on his way to third. Winker picks it up, spins and fires. Jake's on his way. Crawford cannot make a relay. And Cronenworth comes in to score all the way from first base. Back to the Press Box Summer Edition. By the way, is Josh Hader back to being good? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all. You're not even worried about Josh Hader coming in to close out the Dodgers in the playoffs? I don't think the Padres are getting to the Dodgers. Yeah, The Padres first need to get their own house in order. Yeah. They did. They got Josh Hader working. They don't need That's Fernando right. Tatis. He's fine. Josh Hader, I'm looking here, last five innings, last five appearances, two hits, one run uh, is all he's allowed. So he's back to being he might good. Be back. He's not giving up seven runs <laughs> and getting one out like he was before. Um, all right. Oh, by the way, on the Dodgers, are they they just aren't going to allow a run to the Diamondbacks? Yeah, back-to-back shutouts. Back-to-back shutouts won the West Poor nine times in ten years. Is Joey Gallo any good? I know he had a home See that run, home run? but he, like, has he been any good no. for the Dodgers? No, okay. He was like five for his last thirty-four. Oh, yeah, that's too bad. What a Dodger fans booing him or something? Jeez, no, get it together. No, 
Is the he, home run last night was a just when he hits oh, home runs, yeah. they're just monsters. Is he uh like gonna play in the postseason? That's what he's trying to do right now. He's trying to earn a spot. Like Bellinger's trying to earn a spot. He's trying to earn a spot. Okay. Trace Thompson. There yeah. Competition. Best team in baseball out here. I mean, you know, it's you take Bellinger over Gallo, but you know how I feel about Bellinger. Gallo uh, must suck. <laughs> I mean, you put Bellinger in center field, and that's probably enough just right there. Hit him ninth and hope. And hope. So we have the story of Joey Gallo when he left the Yankees after getting traded to go to the Dodgers. And he basically uh, had that question and answer. Was it with the New York Post where he basically said, I didn't, I didn't leave my apartment in New York. He's like, because they asked him, like, what do, do fans say anything to you when you're just out and about? He's like, I don't leave my apartment. I'm in my apartment. I go to the games, go to the ballpark, and that's it. And he got booed during games. There was the other detail of uh, when visiting teams would come into Yankee Stadium and there'd be, like, former teammates or friends. They would text him afterwards and be like, that's rough, man. Like, it's rough right. how they're treating you. Uh, Jordan Montgomery. Was a pitcher for the Yankees. They traded him at the deadline to the Cardinals. By the way, he's been phenomenal with the Cardinals. Like, yes, he's been very good. One of the best pitchers in the sport since he got traded. Uh, he gave this quote yesterday uh, to Ryan Rucco and CC Sabathia, who have a podcast together. I was always worried about getting booed off the mound in New York. The pinstripes are heavy. Not everyone can handle it. I feel like I handled it okay. I could have been better. But there was a lot of things going on, going into that, I guess. But here in St. Louis, I'm just being myself, pitching the way I want to. I guess the fans have kind of embraced me so far. Why does playing for the Yankees sound like the absolute worst thing on the planet? Because of their fans. Because you're not Jada. <laughs> you're not Jada. It's great. Who do they cheer? Jada. Jada. <laughs> Like, nah, Judge wouldn't sign long-term. He's a bum. Like, Jordan Montgomery was was pretty good. Like, he wasn't as good as he's been for the Cardinals, but he was he was a good pitcher. Like, Jordan Montgomery, it's not like Joey Gallo was bad. Like, yes. he, was, he did not live up to expectations, and he was very bad this year. But Jordan Montgomery was fine, and he's wor- he was worried about getting booed off the mound. Like, you're, going, you're pitching in Yankee Stadium, and you're not worried, oh, I don't want to give up any runs today. I don't want to get shelled by whoever the opponent is. I'm worried that the well, fans might boo me. Doesn't it go hand in hand? I mean, yes, but you're you're I mean, if you're giving up a bunch of runs in the back of your mind, like, oh my god, I'm about to get booed off this mound. But it also feels like if you give up one run, they're gonna boo you. <laughs> <laughs> like everything we've heard this year from former Yankees makes it sound like that's a nightmare. Why on earth would I want to play for the Yankees? The money. The money. Well, you get paid the same anywhere. Yeah, but I just have to assume the endorsements in New York, even if you're getting booed, are like... Does Jordan Montgomery get endorsements in New York? I'm going to go with no. I assume there's some, like, carpet cleaning service that's like, yeah, we can't afford Judge. <laughs> Who can we get? Give us Jordan Montgomery. <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't... I mean, Jordan, that, that's the thing about those fans, though. They You say Gallo um, recognized out and about... I think so would a guy like Jordan Montgomery. They know the, that team so well that maybe he is a carpet cleaner. <laughs> I mean, they, they, anything about that team, they they know. They know what they look like. They they you know they love. They hate them. So okay, in all of our sports, we we see home teams get booed. Right, the Golden Knights got booed this year mainly when the power play sucked. Right, like we've team fans will boo their own team. Right, and sure, perfectly fine with that. Team sucks. Right, teams underperforming. Absolutely. Like you can do 
That is a good parade. If your team does not win a game, I will go to that parade. <laughs> but eight four and a half. Is there <laughs> the sarcastic parade? Is there another organization in all of our major sports where you would have in the same season one player say, I didn't leave my apartment because I was worried about what fans would say to me on the streets, and another player say, I was afraid to get booed off the mound? Probably not to that level, but somewhere maybe in Philly? Yeah, yeah. Probably somewhere in Philly. If the Eagles take a bad third quarter... I, yeah. I think I think you'd start going yeah. like uh, I'm gonna spend the weekend in the rest of the weekend in Jersey. Have we ever heard a, a Philadelphia athlete though? Because not being the, able to leave his house, right? Because here's the thing with Gallo when, uh, you, when Terrell Owens when you can't leave your house, <laughs> he's just sit ups in front of it. Right. Here's the thing. It all seems undeserved, right? Like Joey Gallo wasn't any good, but he shouldn't have been afraid to leave his house. Right. Jordan Montgomery was good. There's no reason Jordan Montgomery should have take, taken the mound and thought, uh-oh, I might get booed off the mound today. I feel like, and maybe I shouldn't be defending Philly fans, but I feel like Philly fans boo when it's appropriate. I mean, would you like, be worried about his mindset that he was worried about yes, getting absolutely. booed off the mound? That I you're mean, going up there and it's like, oh, uh, I'm not worried about where I need to pitch this guy. I'm worried about if this guy gets on base. I'm going to get booed. I'm hearing the boos from left field or something like that. Aren't these also the fans that wanted to fire their manager after like four games? <laughs> That's fair. You should always want to fire your manager. Don't the Broncos fans want to fire Nathaniel Hackett after one? Does anybody blame them? I don't. This guy probably should be fired.